where there are words of hope and encouragement, but you're still lost and you never hear them. It's possible to live in a world with a lot of light and illumination to get about, but in the midst of all that you do, you never recognize, acknowledge, or use that light as a direction for you. The reality is every Christian that's ever lived, even you, came up in a time of darkness when your heart was filled with hopelessness, when sin had crept in, taken over. You understand what I'm talking about. You realize that darkness is in the world, yet God has given us a time of light, a brightness to see, a clarity. The illumination of the Holy Spirit is powerful. And we must understand that this is the way that the gospel breaks through into our hearts. And we have to be an avenue to do that in the lives of so many. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 tells us, But God, who is rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave, us, gave back to us our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead. Only by his undeserved favor have we been saved and lifted up. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. We didn't even ask for it. But it was given to us. And God offers us that today in such an amazing way. And we have to be that light to a broken world. I'm amazed at the number of Christians that tell me that they've just seemingly lost their way in life, their purpose. And of course, many people look at the, the active sins in life and they'll say, oh, well, you know, go down through the commandments and see if you've broken some of those or see if you've gotten tied up in, in something that is not of God. But the reality is it's something much simpler than that. It's simply that we have forgotten that we are the vessels of the Holy Spirit. And what we do, what we say, and where we go matters. It matters. We are the words of hope. We are the encouragement to others. We are that missionary. We're the missionary that will go and knock on a door and speak to someone with words of encouragement. Or we can talk about something else. We can avoid the elephant in the room when someone is lost. We can pretend they're okay and we can say, oh, you're fine, don't worry. Yet that's the most disingenuous thing we could do and the most unloving thing we could do if we know someone is lost. When Paul wrote the letter, we, I read this morning part of it in 2 Corinthians, he could look back over his own life in the time when he was so blind to spiritual things. When he was actually doing the work of the devil, thinking he was doing the work of God. He, he understood what it was like to be blind. But he also understood that there's an illumination of the heart that's necessary for all people. Isn't it amazing that once the Holy Spirit of God is within us and we're a Christian, we can choose to go back to the flesh and live in the flesh and follow after that. And that's the danger in the world that we live in today. 
that we can fall back in that situation. I was not in here when Brittany read her scripture, but I heard it clearly and wonderfully because even Paul understood what it was like to be blinded and not knowing what to do. He understood that in a mighty way. You know, he told them, I know who has changed my life because I am not preaching any other gospel but of Jesus Christ and him crucified. We can fall into that trap. Maybe it took a long time for it to happen. Maybe even years for you to understand who Christ really was. Or it might have been when you were very young and it was just a natural thing to understand. Or you might be sitting here right now and you're in church and you're participating in church but you've never really surrendered and come to know Jesus as your Savior. And you're still in that darkness. And when you get to a part that you don't understand, you just kind of fake it. I can remember years ago when I was a member at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church in Atlanta. We had a, we had a, a, a music director there, Dr. John Condra. He had a 1,000 people in the music program there. And I can remember one guy that had been in there for years, and he would sit up there, and, and John would point at him, and he said, that's, that's my challenge right there. And this man was in his 60s. And I said, why is he a challenge? He said, well, he said he can't read music. He said he's actually dyslexic. He can't read the words. He said he wants to be up there, but he said, watch his mouth. And I watched him one Sunday. And wow. He was not doing anything but moving his mouth. He, he didn't connect with a single word. And I asked one day, I said, Dr. Condra, why is he up there? He said, well, he said about 10 years ago, he bought the whole choir choir robes and we didn't have much choice. He was there. Now, Somewhere in, in, in the history of Second Ponce to Leon Baptist Church, his picture is probably somewhere, and it notes the years of service in the choir, yet he, well, maybe he served the choir by, by not singing. Who knows? I never heard him. But he was there every time they sang. He was there. And he gave the, the pretense and the appearance of singing. Yet there are many people that come to church in that same way. They're here. They sing the songs. They, they open their, 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 their Bible and they follow along with the Scripture. And they may even make notes. But as far as really being connected with the true and the living God, it's not happening. Because their mind is somewhere else. They're not concerned about that. We wonder why is it that so many people never make that first move towards the gospel? Are they shy or are they ashamed? Are they contrary to everything it says or are they hoping that God will just let them pass on into heaven? Do they not realize that, that not only is God loving, God's also righteous? And you have to make a decision. I've told you before, God has no grandchildren. 
Every person has to ask Jesus into their heart. Your mother can't do it for you, nor can your father. The good works that you do in life will not cover it over. If you fail to develop that relationship with him, you failed ultimately, eternally. And that's why it's so important that we understand this today. Truth is concealed from those who aren't looking. That's my first point. Truth is concealed from those who are not looking. And there are a lot of people today who are not looking for that truth. The gospel is not hidden and you're playing a game to find him. No, God has a way through his Holy Spirit to illuminate Christ plainly and simply just when you need it. The gospel is not hidden from those who are seeking. It's hidden from those who are seeking to use the church. They could see it, but it was not clear, easily understood. They could explain it, but they weren't will willing to embrace it. Now think about this. You can go to church all your life and totally miss the most important thing there. Asking Jesus into your heart. It's important for us to do that. Will God reach out to you? Absolutely. God does not, does not overlook anyone. He, he loves us all and he wants to reach out to us. But some people put up that wall. They have those private spaces. They compartmentalize their life. And, and they just don't want God in certain things in their life because it would, it would mess up what they're comfortable with, their schedule in life. I believe with all my heart that when Jesus said, there's a narrow way and a small gate to get to heaven and, and very few will find it. He was not saying that, that it's difficult to get to heaven. What he was saying was, many people get confused and accept their confusion and go that direction. I've talked to men before, and let me speak just to men right now. Guys, you know that feeling you get when you were supposed to exit off the interstate? And you kind of knew it was, but you kept driving, and further you went along, the more you thought, well, you know, I'm not getting any closer. I'm getting further away. And remember that point you get at, and I've been there a lot of times before I had that little lady in my phone called GPS to tell me where to go. I would drive and I would get to a point where I was like, why am I doing this? Usually I did that after the exit that said 15 miles till the next exit. Then I was three counties away. And I would finally turn around and I would backtrack. Finally. In life, so often we do that. People will be seeking for God to fit into their life. And they've already prepared a little bitty spot to put him in there. And they'll give him two Sundays a month in the morning from 1045 to 1145. And that's it. And they're comfortable with that. And they leave church feeling good. And people compliment them and tell them what a good Christian they are. You're always here. We know you love the Lord. And the reality is... 
They've given God a piece of their life. They've not turned it over to Him. You know what? God does not want to collect us like a jigsaw puzzle. He wants all of us. Jesus died on the cross for all of you, not for some of you. He didn't die for just the sins you commit before you accept Him, but for all sins. He didn't die just to, to give you a home in heaven, but to have a relationship with you forever. We've got to come to that understanding of how important that is. And I don't care what age you are. Don't ever let pride send you to hell because you're afraid to admit that when I made that decision in the past, I really didn't understand what I was doing. I really didn't confess my sins and, and I really know that I don't have the Holy Spirit within me. I'm kind of funny about young people getting saved. I don't just simply wave them on. I want to really hear from them what's going on. I want to pray with them. The worst thing we can ever do to a young person is to tell them that they're saved when we know they've really not come to a, a conviction of sins and a restoration of, of God in their life. And then they go out in life and they go through puberty. And they get out in the world and something happens and they call out to God and they just don't have that Holy Spirit within to guide them. I've dealt with too many adults that said, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was six and he abandoned me. And what you have to tell them is, no, he didn't abandon you. You never really had a relationship with him. You go back and walk with him forensically through what happened, and generally it's something like this. They were at a gathering with a youth minister or children's director that pushed for people to come forward. Or that person was in a meeting and their best friend came forward and they did it because, well, that was their best friend. That was what they were supposed to do. And these people feel betrayed, neglected, and abused by God. And the reality is, we as Christians did not do our due diligence to develop that relationship and confirm that. And that is why Sometimes I might talk to, to young folks six, seven, eight, ten times over a year before I ever let them come forward. I think it's so important for that. So important. My buddy Andy's sitting up there and he knows. I know, what, I know what's on your mind right now. Your two grandboys and what we went through. The first one was a piece of cake. The second one, we had to keep pushing him back, pushing him back, pushing him back. And finally I said... When you, Reeves, when you get your glasses, we'll do that. He, he got his glasses. And I gave him a book to read. I just wanted to know that he knew. And while I'm up here preaching in Selma, Alabama, I'm thinking about a couple of boys over there in Prattville. And I pray that God is continuing to work in their hearts and growing them. That is too important for us as a church to take care of, to neglect and overlook. But secondly, notice this. Light breaks in where it's accepted. There's an old Calvinist saying that I love. Light accepted brings more light. Light rejected brings darkness. It's not scriptural, but it's true. 
As you open your heart to God, He will bring in more light to you. As you yield to Him by reading Scripture and praying, He will reveal to you what you want to know. But if you ever allow Satan to tempt you and draw you away and to close your eyes, you will be blinded. Satan loves to do that. His favorite playground is the church. Did you know that? He's here before most of you. He's preparing. He looks through and he knows the feelings and the thoughts on the hearts of the people here. And he likes to mess with you. He can't steal your salvation. But he can cover it over with sin so thoroughly that nobody would ever know that you were a Christian. He can use you for his kingdom even though eternally you'll be in God's kingdom. And to me, that's the saddest situation of any human ever, is to know that you were used of the devil freely when you were called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants more out of us than that. In spite of all the crime and the violence in our world today, and the hardness in people's hearts, this passage says the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness in Genesis 1-3 is, is the same God whose light was shined in your heart and will shine in the hearts of others. There's another march across the bridge this morning. Aren't you impressed? People love to do things to identify. There's nothing wrong with that. But I've wondered if as many people that walked across that bridge would have gotten on their knees and prayed for the healing of the nation, how different it would be. Events are dangerous because they're like programs. They have a beginning and an end. And, ev and events are strange because we feel like we've done something special. And we really haven't. God didn't come to build a program-driven, event-driven church. Not at all. He wanted to enter your heart and change your entire destiny. We're not a part of, of a, an event. We're part of a family, a movement that changes everything. We march to the beat of a different drummer. And people shouldn't be surprised when they find that out. Sunday of last week, 10 years ago, y'all voted on me. And I thought about the many things that I've seen in Selma in 10 years. I can't remember the times I entered and left the buildings around here, and I would encounter Murray Austin. He's always kind, always has a smile. He's always working. This is one of the most diligent men I've ever met. He's a gifted Musician beyond compare. Amen? I, I never heard him play. I, well, I heard your, your, your little classes play across the hall from him many times, but you would be over there. But I've, I've seen this man take the hands that can produce that music there and drag pianos around, move them and work on them and do things to them. 
And I sit here in the morning, and Murray, I want to tell you, you minister to me before I preach in a way that nobody else ever has. 36 years of preaching, it's amazing. I sit here, and, and I'm like, there's nothing I can say to compare to that. Music, music is a part of our soul. God put music in us when we began. The first indicator that you are alive to a physician is that heartbeat. And that heartbeat establishes that rhythm that will go with us all of our life. And we have an attachment to that. When, when we hear that, that's our, our inner person speaking. It's God saying, I own you, I love you, I want to lead you. And I believe with all my heart that many of us stand inches away from the potential we could have because we won't step over that boundary and, and confess that we're a sinner and forsake those sins and let Jesus give us the strength. And a lot of people do it all for the same reason. Control. They're not willing to give up control. They're not willing to surrender what they have. The, the peace that passeth all understanding is witnessed on the face of the one who has surrendered these beautiful flowers in front of me are placed here to remember a wonderful lady. Janet Mosley moved home some years ago to care for Dr. Sam Mosley. And I'll never forget when she came home, Dr. Sam told me, he said, if you've looked at her, you've met her mother. She's just like her. She's sunshine. I never heard Janet ever say a negative word about anything. The best day of my life during the week here at Selma was when I walked into a restaurant to eat late in the afternoon and I was all alone and Janet was there and we got to eat together. She would be deeply engrossed in a book, she was always reading, and she would lay the book down and she'd begin to share. And it would start out something like, what are you reading? And she would tell me. But it would always end with words of encouragement from her. Her siblings placed this, and some of them are here, and God bless you. Y'all had the most wonderful sister. She had a childlike faith and a childlike demeanor. She belonged to God. And I know this, she knew God. Some of her words encouraged me in such a strong way at times. And they were not complicated words. They were simple words. They were words that would bring us back to the, the, the basics in life. And I believe in life we need to do that. And, and, and lastly, I want you to think about this. Our work is accomplished through these frail bodies. None of us are per perfect. None of us accomplish everything we, we want to accomplish. I talked to a 95-year-old lady one day when she was near the end of life, and yet her mind was very good, and she said this to me. She said, Preacher, pray that I'll live longer because I've got dreams that I need to fulfill, things I need to accomplish, successes that I need to firm up. I'm not quite finished with what I'm doing. 
We have frail bodies, but we have desires to serve Him. And that's what matters. And God wants us to use these bodies of clay that are frail and broken to demonstrate His beauty. I've always, I've always noticed, and I remember one time going into a friend's uh, pottery, and, and they were husband and wife were crafty people, but they ended up developing a pottery out in the middle of nowhere in middle Georgia. And they would take their pots and sell them, and people love them. They're beautiful, and, and the more they created, the, the more creative they became. And I'll never, never forget one day looking at a pot they had in there, and I said, well, what happened to that pot? They had made this beautiful jar, and after they had, had fired the clay, and they had put on all the paint, and it was, just, it was just absolutely gorgeous from the base to the outer colors. They dropped it, taking it out of the kill, and it shattered into about 100 pieces. The wife wouldn't give up, and so she took it, put it back together, painting glaze in between the broken shards. She stacked it, and she fired it, and it stuck together. And I said, but who's going to buy that? It's a broken jar. I said, you could put artificial flowers in it, but you can't put anything else in there that needs water like your other jars. She walked over and she said, watch this. She turned off the light in the studio, and then she reached over and pushed a button. And they had one little starlight that changed colors every five seconds. And that pot was gorgeous. It was like through each crack and crevice, a different tone came out, a different color. The whole room lit up like a kaleidoscope, like, like a starry sky. It was beautiful. And I said, how did you figure that out? And she said, I remembered what Jesus did with me. We are that broken clay jar. We don't have a future without Jesus. Our bodies will deteriorate. Our souls will go to heaven only because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. And the works that we do, the works that we do will glorify Jesus more than anything we can say or think if we're willing to be faithful. Years ago, there was a distinguished British gentleman by the name of Sir Oliver Franks. He was a professor of philosophy at Oxford. I had the privilege of sitting in a lecture dedicated to him. He'd been long dead when I was studying at Cambridge and visited at Oxford. And one of the amazing things that I heard about this man who had been not only a professor of philosophy at Oxford, but he'd been president of two different colleges in the 60s in London that had had major problems. He was a chairman of one of the largest banks in the world at one time. He served as the British ambassador to the United States during one of the most crucial times after World War II. He was the man that literally was communicating between the United States president and taking his words over back to England, to the prime minister, to put together the North American uh, 
treaty, the NATO. Without NATO, where would we be today? It got us through the Cold War. That treaty and alliance of the North American countries along the Atlantic changed everything. But one of the problems he had was, how do you get secret messages across the pond, as he said? How do you do that? The war was over and they no longer had, were using that equipment. Much of it was discovered and they realized how it worked. And someone asked him one day, said, how did you go about speaking? You couldn't talk on the phone. You, you couldn't you know, send a telegram. What did you do? He said, I used a super secret message that God brought to me in the night one time. He said, I was reading 2 Corinthians about the simplicity of the gospel of Christ and how it was hidden from some people because of their own blindness, meaning they were looking somewhere else. And they said, well, then what did you do? He said, I sent the messages in first-class mail. They never looked. They never suspected. They never examined. They never thought. He said the most crucial decisions made to develop the North American Treaty Alliance were done because they weren't looking for it in the right place. Don't get lost looking too seriously for a simplistic hope that's here. Don't make it so complicated that you say, well, you know, I know all about that. I'll just wait till the last minute and decide. Were you ever one of those people that waited till, till April the 15th to mail your tax returns? Remember that? Who'd they put on TV every night when that happened? The post office. People would be running through there at midnight to get that stamp waiting till the last minute. But invariably, what happens? Something goes wrong. Somebody misses out. They leave part of it out. They have a flat tire, run out of gas, and they don't make it. In the same way, there are people that think they'll wait till the last minute to get right with God. No, dear people, today is the day of salvation. Not in the future, but today. This is the time of decision. Please make the right decision. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in your holy word, you give to us the strength to trust you and the wisdom to read your word and allow it to touch our lives. But ultimately, the decision is upon us what we will do with your son. The blood is available to cover our sins. He's died already. All we have to do is say, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Yet for some people, those are difficult, harsh, frightening words. And they'd rather assume they've done it already since after all, there's no audit yearly to see if you're a Christian. So they simply continue to believe that they're okay. Heavenly Father, God of this world, I ask that you not let anyone leave this room today until they're certain beyond any doubt that Jesus is their Savior and Lord and they've accepted that gift. 
Lord, I pray that you've already been speaking to someone that needs to make that decision and let them know how important it is even now. And Father, I pray that you would guide us in all things holy and we would trust you and follow. For it's in your precious name we do pray. Amen.